0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights, to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me is, for the 100th episode, my good friend and co host, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir?
1: I cannot believe we've
0: done a hundred of these. That's right. I mean, time flies when you're having fun, but we called in one of our best and most frequented guests on the show, someone who's filled in when we need a co-host fill-in many times before. We have the most beautiful guest we've ever had, my wife, Mary Guest. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm actually honored to be on the 100th episode. I didn't know that until just now, so that's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the century mark. Now, Mary we got to get to know you a little better here. What is your favorite dance scene? Because this, today's movie is going to feature Travolta, who's quite the dancer from his movies of like Saturday Night Fever, Grease, and Pulp Fiction. What is your favorite dance scene from a movie?
2: You know, that's hard because it's not just in the realm of musicals. There's a lot of types of movies that actually would have dance in them. So there were two things that came to my mind. I always loved the deleted scene from The Wizard of Oz with the scarecrow bouncing around from fence to fence. I think that's just such a fun way. That's a fun dance scene to me. The other one that comes to mind is the dance scene in The Labyrinth with David Bowie. It's sort of a magical scene. So there are kind of two ways, more than two ways that you could go about you know, evaluating your favorite dance scene. So
0: certainly, good choices. And Chad, what about you? What's your favorite dance scene? Well, it's not the one in Spider-Man Three. I, I
1: think I'm gonna go with the time warp from Rocky Horror. It's just a
0: step to the left. Yes. Jump to the right. Put your hands on your hips. Okay, I'm out. He's out. He's out on the pelvic thrust. Yes. Um, mine's gonna be. I'm gonna go with make him laugh from. Singing in the Rain. This is a this is one that oh, we covered. Excellent. Yeah, we actually covered the Time Warp as well. So uh, and we covered Wizard of Oz. So maybe our watching of these movies is affecting our uh, or we touching a lot of great movies. Maybe it's that one. So uh, I do want to give a runner up to. It's not a, it's not my favorite movie in the world, but the dance scene from Napoleon Dynamite at the end was unexpected oh, and ridiculous <laughs> and absurd, and uh, canned heat by Napoleon Dynamite does crack me up, so uh, i 'm going to give a nod to that one so now mary what's the last movie you saw?
2: I think the last thing I watched was the movie Ten Inch Hero. I was looking for things that the supernatural cast had done. Uh, After that show ended, because I was definitely feeling a void in my life. So I found that free on Tubi.
0: All right. Chad, what about you? What's the last movie that you saw?
1: This was my first 2021 official movie. A lot of the 2021s were technically 2020. Willie's Wonderland, which growing up in Charleston, West Virginia, we had Billy Bob's Wonderland. This was a Nicolas Cage horror movie with animatronic animals attacking people. Nicolas Cage didn't have a single line in the entire movie, and I loved it. It was just nuts, and I recommend everybody go see it.
0: Okay. Sounds interesting. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, And the last movie that I saw was uh, Sherlock Holmes, the sequel, which was Sherlock Holmes' A Game of Shadows from 2011. So, you know what? These movies are more fun than I thought they would be i i i've now caught, caught both of them and so uh i was skeptical towards them because i didn't like i didn't like the idea of sherlock holmes going around punching people and getting into action scenes but uh you know maybe i'm just loosening up here and i've had fun with those
1: ah, boo. <laughs> <laughs> G- give me benedict
3: cumberbatch
0: okay okay all right now what movie are we going to do today mary
2: we are going to talk about the movie get shorty
0: That's right. Get Shorty comes out in 1995. It stars John Travolta, Gene Hackman, Rene Russo, and Danny DeVito, among some other great actors. It grosses $72.1 million in the box office, placing it at 15th on the box office on the year. It comes in behind While You Were Sleeping and hedges uh, ahead of The Bridges of Madison County. The number one movie that year is Batman Forever. IMDb gives Get Shorty a 6.9. The Rotten Tomatoes critics give Get Shorty an 88%, so it's pretty fresh. Now, the audience score surprisingly doesn't like it as much. They're all the way down at 70%, which is close to the IMDb rating. It's a little confusing at that uh, big space there, so... The Golden Globes nominates Get Shorty for two awards for Best Motion Picture and Best Actor, and uh, it is a Nominee Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. So quite an ensemble here. Let's start with you, Mary. had you seen Get Shorty before if so what was your background with it the first time you saw it and what was it like coming back to it now?
2: Well this has an interesting history. I found this in a bin of discount DVDs I think we had stopped at a gas station somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania and they had an incredibly good deal on a bunch of movies and I you know it was like five for twenty or something like that and we found several things that we knew we liked and we were like okay what's the next thing we're gonna buy and i saw this in the bin hadn't seen it but just judging by the people that were in it i was intrigued and i thought well you know you know it's just worth it for the price of a rental so why don't we just buy it turned out that was a really fun movie and i'm glad we got it
0: so you can judge a movie by its cover
2: in this case i judged a movie by its cover
0: yes All right. And uh, so do you feel like uh, it was fun to pick apart and get into deeper and come back to today? Is it holding up well?
2: Yeah. You know, in the kind of world we live in right now, I didn't really want to do a movie that was going to bring me down. So I knew this was a fun movie. I knew it would be fun to break down the intricate plot and the interesting characters. So, yeah, that's why I shortlisted it.
0: Yeah. Now, Chad, had you seen Get Shorty before? I hadn't. I had no
1: background. I feel like we're slowly forcing me to see every Elmore Leonard adaptation. <laughs> 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 I have knocked off three in short order. So yeah, He uh, Russell once described Rob Zombie and Power Man 5000 as really easy Christmas presents. One horror in one space. Will Elmore Leonard get him like Dick Tracy dolls and he's happy. So this is... This was a new experience coming out of out of sight. I was not excited. I was like, oh, this guy again. (laughs) So I was a little concerned.
0: And how did it go down for you, though?
1: Pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I'm I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Okay, that's good. And I myself, basically, Mary shared her entire story. That's the benefit of uh, bringing your wife on the show. Uh, So that was my first time seeing it as well. And I, I had a blast coming back to it now. And this is one of those movies that I I would recommend to people. I think that it, enough time has gone by that probably some people are starting to forget about it. And it, it's definitely worth it's worth the mention to say, like, hey, don't forget about this movie. I don't want it to get covered with dust. And we're lost in the sands of time. So Now, Prince of Persia's Sands of Time could get lost in the sands of time. I'm okay with that, getting lost in the sands of time.
2: Yeah, we can forget about that one. Yes. <laughs> I'm
1: yes. sure Jake Hall wants to.
0: I'm sure he does. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now, if you have not seen Get Shorty, you're going to want to pause this, go watch the movie, come back and finish it if you don't mind. Spoilers, we will proceed after this because there are spoilers that lie ahead. So when we return, we will get into our 100th movie of Get Shorty with spoilers. We will be back after these messages. Like you. All right, and we're back. Chad, for those who have not seen Get Shorty, do you want to give people a recap on the movie Get Shorty from 1995? Sure thing.
1: So we've got Chili Palmer. He's a Miami loan shark working for a mob boss named Ray Barboni. He's sent on a mission to collect $300,000 from a guy who faked his own death through an insurance scam but he kind of gets distracted with another job to collect a debt from film producer Harry Zim. Zim's making B-level horror movies and therefore is awesome. Chili travels to LA to track down Harry and pitches a film idea to him after breaking into Zim's star actress's house, a little strange there, but as misfortune would have it, Harry owes $200,000 to a drug dealer and we begin what's essentially an Elder Scrolls side quest. The money's in a locker guarded by DEA agents. That'll be important later. So Chili completes his actual main quest. He collects the money from Leo, the guy that fakes his own death. Then he goes on to date the actress that I mentioned he broke into her house, Karen Flores, uh, and convinces her to help him cast her ex-husband, Martin Weir, played by Danny DeVito, in Chili and Harry's movie idea. Harry wants to use the insurance scam money to finance his own movie, but an angry Ray Barboni shows up and he interferes. He wants his money that he sent Chili after. After several more double crosses, including the guys Harry owed money to, Chili tricks Barboni into opening the DEA locker and Barboni goes down. Chili's now free to make his movie in peace. I really tried hard in this plot summary to work in a couple TLC jokes, but I feel like Chili succeeded in chasing those waterfalls. I guess he ain't no scrub.
0: All right, sometimes you just gotta creep. Creep.
1: Ah, very good. Couldn't work red light special on.
0: Now, Mary, what do you think about the story of Get Shorty? It, it It moves around a lot.
2: I'm really intrigued by the way the story unfolds in such a fast pace it especially in the first half of the movie it's going from one thing to the next really really fast but it's doing it in such an interesting way and I love how the soundtrack in particular indicates a major plot turn or twist or Plot moment and it kind of Really pulls me in and keeps me Engaged so I really enjoy The way The story is told in this case
0: Yeah yeah now Chad look At me what do you think about this movie It's <laughs> in yes. the story <laughs>
1: Yes later on becomes I'm the Captain now I feel, <laughs> I feel Like they stole that yeah Elmore Leonard certainly has A pattern for his novels Of double costing And drugs and they even mentioned, okay, it doesn't make a good story unless there's a woman in it. As far as the romance, so they were almost breaking the fourth wall with their own movie of saying, eh, "This is how it goes." But yeah, it it was fascinating going from place to place. It was a little bit frenetic, like Mary was saying. Of all right, Chili's in this, but this person owes this money to random party. Th- Three and 43
3: three's double <laughs> crossing.
1: So, I I kind of feel like there's a always sunny in Philadelphia episode where Mac just or not Mac goes, but the character goes insane and he's got all these connections and red strings tying things together. I felt like I needed to do that at one point, but it was good.
0: Yeah, the story moves fast and it's constantly adding new layers and new pieces, but. I have to say that it's all put together very tightly and you could get lost and turn to the person next to you and be like, wait, who's so-and-so or wait, where's that money? But it's one of those things that's good because it forces you to pay attention and keeps you engaged, but also it makes it pretty rich to go back to. You can really start to fully take it in upon second, third, and fourth viewings. And I think that intricacy is, gives it a lot of rewatch value. And I think that this is presented in a very clear and understandable way, to where the complexity is for me highly rewarding. Although, Chad will tell you, Mary will tell you, I I like a complicated plot. That says that this is you can check more check mark a box next to me. So I mean, uh, it's not Christopher Nolan complicated, but it's still it's it's intricate.
1: Yeah, yeah. When there's more than one double cross, it starts getting complicated, and I, this one has at least three.
0: Yeah. Now, Mary, I know you watched uh, Jackie Brown with me and we've covered uh, Out of Sight as well. Uh, So for, by the way shameless plug check out episode 77 for Jackie Brown from 97 and uh, episode 96 for Out of Sight from 98 those are both Elmore Leonard novel adaptations as well as this is now Chad you you did a good job of keeping a good face on for Out of Sight on the Out of Sight episode but uh, you were not fully enthusiastic and I, I could tell that and you were not as into that one <laughs> do you want to compare Get Shorty to Elmore Leonard's other works for you and where and how it stacks up?
1: I, yeah, that's an interesting question because they all have slightly different influences. Jackie Brown is more the black blaxploitation, whereas Out of Sight was a little bit more romance influenced. And this is just more comedic, I think, is what I'd go with. Like a, a dark comedy, possibly. So they they all play a little bit different jackie brown's definitely the hardest of all the subjects it's a little more depressing where get shorty it's just a little bit more fun i know some people would argue out of sight is fun as well Uh, that one i would i would be one of those people (laughs) yeah that one the the romance didn't work for me so the cast didn't work for me Poor george clooney he he tried
0: okay okay now mary what about uh, elmore leonard's intricate storylines but also his plot that like I mean he or sorry his characters he does a great job of writing good characters and rich dialogue with less than savory people
2: yeah I find the characters to be a, a huge reason that this movie is so intriguing I each person is so unique and I love the way that uh, I think there's some moments where John Travolta is sort of has some lines that are just so self-aware. And I I love that about the movie. Uh, there's a there's a line in there where he says, yeah, I don't think the producer has to know much. And it just comes off in just the right way because the tone of the movie, plus these, this characterization and this level of what Chad was talking about, of breaking the fourth wall. It, it just grabs me and the people who who were in this movie bring so much life to it that yeah it, it's, it's really hard probably the, to do the superlatives was probably one of the hardest movies I had to do the superlatives too because everybody's so good.
0: hmm for sure. And I like what you mentioned there that self-awareness of the Hollywood movie making machine is one of my favorite parts of this movie as you go back and look at it. It takes it from just being a mob movie and starts to add in another realm of comedy. So, like, they're taking a lighthearted mob situation, but I really enjoy them, you know, looking at getting a movie off the ground, low-budget film producers, and how unethical they are and the flakiness of big-name actors and looking at all these stereotypes and personalities of this world in Hollywood... And, you know, a lot of that's pretty rich and watching it come together and clash with the mob world and seeing the similarities and how they both are out for money and like they're both, you know, trying to get deals done, but also see how these two worlds collide. That's a whole lot of fun. And it's unexpected for me. I don't know. What do you say about uh, Chad? Like, do you do you like this more from the mob movie side or you do you really enjoy that movie making? you know fourth wall breaking stuff
1: yeah i think what works for me is to lean more into the Deadpool Mm -hmm. realm of movie making where it it is self-aware even little shots like they take a touch of eagle touch of evil want to go watch charlton heston be a mexican like stuff like that uh the engagingness of watching travolta quote touch of evil while he's watching the movie i thought that was really cool that was a cool touch and Even when they're playing back and forth, Chili and Bo rattling off casting and they're talking about real world actors and who to put in in this movie. Those are great scenes. So, yeah, it's for me, it's the fourth wall breaking the the self-awareness and just the lightheartedness of it.
0: You could write a screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, you just uh, type it out there and then uh, get somebody to fill in the commas and stuff and later on. And you know what? Uh, I've even read one of these before and I know there were some misspellings in there and you know what, there weren't many commas in there either, so I don't know that it's all that hard
2: <laughs> I uh, it just occurred to me, you know, when I was researching this I thought, you know, this isn't, they keep bringing up the Shylock, and that's not a term you hear very often, and I was like, where have I where, where have I heard that before? So, the,
1: Shakespeare?
2: The, it's Shakespeare, It's it's the character from The Merchant of Venice and it so Chili is the... He, in a certain way, is sort of that Shylock from that play because he's the one doing the high interest rate loans and the dirty dealings, but then he, like, that character who created... I think he converted to Christianity in the end. I haven't read it. I just... Gener- general knowledge about the play. Well, Chili didn't do that, but he did convert to... He He went from this sort of mob-type, you know, profession to... Movie making profession and was trying to get into it in a clean way, part ways with his, um, you know, loan shark kind of approach and and using those skills in a way that isn't criminal. So I I thought, you know, after I took a minute to think about it, it was like, oh, they're really bringing in some of these Shakespeare plot elements.
1: See, I almost thought that Chili had a short attention span. Like, he's just over there. Oh, this is shiny. Oh, this is shiny.
2: I'm coll-
1: <laughs> collecting debt. Maybe I'll make a movie. Maybe I'll date this girl. Maybe I'll go to Los Angeles instead of Las Vegas. Like Just, ooh, piece of candy everywhere for this guy.
0: Yeah, I I, I liked how he was kind of jaded about the mob world and that he just had this adoration for film and for movies and that drove him to this. You could even see him like picking up his like, I got a movie producer who owes me money. And like his eyes like kind of lit up like movie producer. <laughs> like, I love movies. I want to meet this guy and take his money. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> so uh, his joy of film somehow rubbed off on me. I like just his his sheer enthusiasm of the character, even though he's a tough guy. I I like the fact that uh, he has this genuine like enthusiasm for film, and it rubs off on everybody around him. Even Zim, you know, who's been through the rodeo many times before, is captivated by him. And Karen Flores, in particular, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a romantic element to this. She's kind of in a rut with her movie career, and I like that she kind of you know is sees his not naiveness, but like his. His passion for what probably drove her to go out to L.A. and start acting in the first place for herself. Now, this is unspoken, but you can you can see the warmth and, like, I like how passionate and how enthusiastic he is in this industry when so many have lost track of that.
1: You can, uh, behind the scenes, you can really just see, like, Harry Zim just snorting coke or whatever off of his desk. He's just completely phoning it in.
2: Yeah, I feel like she, in particular, kind of got empowered by... Chili's excitement over the movie industry and I think it empowered her to go into producing because like that was so fun to watch in her character like she was just so like ugh another Zim movie like and it got her this whole plot was actually her in as a way into the production business and I thought that was a cool element to the story
1: Nothing wrong with starring in B-movie horrors. Daniel Harris, keep doing what you do. Uh,
0: you know what? Uh, I, I didn't put that together, but I have a feeling that that actually was a big part of why this went down for you better than these other ones. You add a B-movie horror guy uh, making creature features in here, and I was like, oh, wow, this does, this does say, like, you're going to get half a star off of Chad for that alone. Oh
1: his office was just so much fun. I kept pausing and, and just looking around his office at all the little knickknacks and things arranged around the room. It's like this is awesome and I just I'm want to play in his office.
2: Not saying there's anything wrong with being in the B-liver horror movie. That seems like it would be a fun thing to do, but she had grown tired of it and you could tell. Like so yeah. I'm just saying that it was like a positive for her character to move on
0: from. I don't know, Chad seems like he's a pretty big fan of slime creatures 3. Yes, that is his best work. (laughs) And she
2: did
1: her best work in Slime Creatures 3. So she was still... She was uh, putting in a high performance.
0: Now, uh, these characters are all crafty. They get to the point. The dialogue is sharp, 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 tight. It's a good direction, which I'll get into here in a little bit as well. And that makes the story fly, and it's really fun to experience. I, I like that everybody... There are no idiots in this one. Bo Bo wants something. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's trying to go out there and get it. Chili's very smart. He's always one step ahead of everybody, and uh, he's got this amazing confidence that makes it work. I mean, Martin Weir is like a great actor, and Harry Zim is just like you know. I mean, he's not an idiot. He's been he's he's experienced. He's he's a bit his practices are a bit shaky, but he's he knows the game.
2: I would have to sort of disagree with you on that. I think Harry Zim did some stupid things along the way. He's desperate. He's desperate. Chili could tell him exactly what to do, and then he does the exact opposite of that.
0: Yeah, but I mean... So,
2: I don't know if I agree with you on Zim's character. I mean, yeah.
0: Even Ray Barboni, like, he's not a total idiot. Like, when you first meet him in the beginning, he gets his nose broken, and he gets shot like, and grazed on on his forehead, and you're just like, this guy's a buffoon. But then later on, you see that, you know, he's... uh, He's a, he's a force to be reckoned with in his own right. And Bear, who's like a, a meathead, you know, he's quite clever and turns out and, you know, stages. He, he's just in a bad situation. He wants to get out of a situation with Bo and uh, he actually stages things so that he can find his way out uh, of it. So, I mean, there's a lot of intelligent characters and that's, that's good, I think. That, I think that makes all, everything interesting. It makes all these moving pieces.
1: Yeah, they gave Bear that great humanizing scene after Chili beats him up, where just Chili starts
0: talking to him like, "So, how's your day? You know, how's it going?" How many movies have you been in? Yeah. Sixty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a very endearing scene. Um, I think that's one of the things that I liked about Travolta's character. As we kind of transition into the actors here, like Travolta uh, is a tough guy, and we see that in, in a few moments. There, he's always calm, he's always collected, but he's also uh, he's, I guess he's got a lot of integrity for what he's doing. I think at one point, uh, Leo's wife puts her hand on him. She goes, you're a good man, Chile. And that, that actually is true. He's, he says what he means. he, He is, uh, he doesn't try and put everybody in a bad position. For instance, he actually tries to protect Harry. He's like, why don't you give me your mob money? He's like, you don't want that. Like, it's going to cause you a world of problems. And he he almost, he tries to shelter him from it. You know, Leo is one of those people who's just like, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to pay you back your money. I'm going to treat you reasonably. But I am taking this money because it's what I have to do. But I mean, um, you know, Chili's not necessarily out for himself per se. He turns everything that he gets to into good fortune for himself, but he's not trying to wreck everybody else as he goes through there. And that's, that makes him very likable. No.
1: Completely failed you there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's insanely likable. And that's so important for this movie is just his charisma and his interactions with Danny DeVito, Martin Weir, Uh, with karen flores that it could have gone so wrong if he wasn't so likable here's a dude that just broke into your house and is sitting there drinking with with your producer uh talking about a movie script he just didn't have that honesty i i I don't know that i go as far as innocence but it is almost like a childlike enthusiasm for things
0: yeah now mares uh the film cast includes uh, one Oscar winner with Gene Hackman and five Oscar nominees with Travolta, David Pamer, Danny DeVito, Harvey Keitel, and Bette Midler. Uh This is a pretty heavy cast, particularly for a movie of this nature. Does it have good chemistry? Does, is, are, we got a lot of great characters. Do the actors do a good job with it?
2: Oh, for sure. I think that um, the interactions with um, all of your main characters are fantastic. Um uh, I, I think Chile interacts with everybody really well, particularly Devito, um, and and with uh, James Gandolfini. Yeah, they they just there's um, something that feels really authentic about these characters and their interactions. Uh, so yeah, I I think that this is an incredibly well cast movie.
0: Yeah, Elmer Leonard said at this point, uh, he said this was by far his most pleased that he had been with any of his film adaptations. He said that this was just such a talented cast and crew to make it all work. And uh, it was a proud success for him. Even going into the uh, uh, Hollywood premiere of this movie, he was one of the high points of his life. He was really excited. for So he... This, this all came together for him well. And according to the executive producer, Barry Sonnenfeld, other producers were considering Travolta for the lead role uh, even before his Pulp Fiction comeback. And uh, it's one of those things where, uh, funny enough, Travolta initially declined the offer f- to be in this movie. He was convinced by Quentin Tarantino to do it. Quentin actually told Travolta that Elmore Leonard was one of his favorite authors and that he loved the book Get Shorty. It was one of the best adaptations and it's a great script. And uh, he loved it and he thought that John would be right for the lead role. And he, you know, I, Travolta talks about this in an interview and he says, Quentin, Quentin got to me he's like, I heard you turned down the part for Get Shorty. I, wh- wh- why'd you do that? And eh, I don't know. I read the script and it was... Uh, he's like, And he just cuts him off. He goes, this is a movie you say... This is not a movie you say no to this is a movie you say yeah. yes to <laughs> 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 and and Quentin being so bullish on this is one of the things that empowered Travolta to come back take a second look at it and to ultimately do it so without Quentin Tarantino encouraging him to do so you don't get Travolta in the seats to do so and uh you know that's it's one of those things where I know you're not a big Travolta or Tarantino fan Chad but uh I'm glad that he got Travolta in this movie aren't you
1: yeah definitely and I think it's so strange, and I can't imagine him in this role, but they were going for Danny DeVito as Chili Palmer at first. But Danny DeVito had a scheduling conflict, so he just took the lesser role of Martin Weir, which he he nailed. But uh, they just said, I don't know anyone more self-assured than Danny DeVito, and that was the primary trait of Chili Palmer.
0: Interesting. Can you imagine Danny DeVito doing this one instead of? <laughs>
2: you know, I actually can. Really? I mean, I can't imagine him throwing um, James Gandolfini down a set of stairs, but I do think <laughs> that
3: would
2: that, be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> now that I said that, maybe, <laughs> maybe I would like to see that on film. No, Danny has a sense of. Cool and smooth about him, and I do think that those qualities that John Travolta, a good fit for the role, also would have made Danny DeVito have that same sort of suave that the character Chili has. I actually kind of think that it could have worked with DeVito. You would have had to get creative with some of the fight scenes, maybe, but I mean. This is not the kind of movie that, I mean, to have it a little bit over the top is just, a, a, it would be okay with me.
0: Yeah. Now, Michael Keaton, Bruce Willis, Danny DeVito, and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman are the other people who are listed who turned this role down. I can actually see Bruce Willis and doing quite a good job with this one, but I, I think Travolta is just so good in this one. I just can't imagine any of these other people, once you've seen Travolta, do it. I mean Travolta's got a long career in a large film library. And I haven't seen all of it, but this is this is up there for me. This is I mean, obviously I like I love the movie Grease. Chad, am I wrong in saying this is this is this is high brow this is high cut for Travolta.
1: Yeah, I think it might have even been uh Sobenfeld that said this is the best acting job that John Travolta's done. And I don't know that I disagree with him.
0: It's that's fair, because I can't say that he was acting Awesome increase. It's just the production of Greece. Yeah, you know, my, you, this might be my favorite performance in terms of his. It's better than Battlefield Earth. I was going to say it's better than Swordfish, but uh, you 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 better you, you you picked a better bottom movie than I did. <laughs> now, Gene Hackman also turned down this movie at first because he doesn't like to do comedies. And Sonnenfeld said that's exactly the attitude that he wanted on this set. He said to play it straight and let the audience decide if it's funny. Hackman kind of came into it, and he based his portrayal on Harry's M on, an ag- on a slimy agent that he used to know who was the phoniest man that he ever knew. So, so many near-misses with Travolta and Hackman almost saying no. I'm glad they changed their minds because, I mean, Hackman is funny in this, isn't he? Don't you think?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I think there's sort of an an awkwardness that he portrays, which is just perfect for this role. There's a moment where he's he's called up what's the guy named? Ray bones and he's acted like he's some tough guy and he gets off the phone and the look on his face when he gets off the phone like that I think that was my my favorite hackman moment of the movie is just that look on his face like oh what did I get myself into oh, <laughs> like I yeah. so I think there's a, a subtlety in doing a movie this that's not really laugh out loud and funny but has a something about timing that it's sort of an art
0: yeah chad is i i myself am like mary i'm sitting there going like there's not like ha 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 knee slapping like did you see the funny thing happen but it is funny somehow why do i find this movie to be so humorous and enjoyable from a comedic standpoint
1: i think you're kind of watching people make it up as they go along and gene hackman mary referenced the phone call he didn't know what he was doing, and Ray Bones has been threatened before, and he's not entertained at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love when he hangs up the phone. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like,
1: well, that was a horrible idea. And Chili's making up the movie industry. Like Gene Hackman goes, And then what? And Chili's like, That's it. That's all I've got.
3: Said, That's not a
1: movie. You've got to have more than that. Where's the girl? Where? Where's the resolution? Where's the? It's like I don't know yet. Everyone's just they're out of their elements, and I think that's probably what's working for you is the the fish out of water. Yeah, I think
0: I think that's a good point.
2: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It's like so many of the characters are doing what they're doing for the first time. You know, Harry Sims got himself way in over his head with this mess he's gotten himself in. He's not experienced. Being in this mess, Chili's reinventing himself by becoming a movie producer, so he's doing something new. Same with Karen Flores, as she's upping her game by getting into production, which is also new for her. So I think that's kind of interesting. That Bo it, and Bo once out it put, as well puts all of these characters at a little bit of a disadvantage because they're not experienced doing the thing they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I agree, and. I just think it's one of those fun things to see everybody stepping on each other's toes in a dance. You know, everybody kind of wants the same thing and they're starting to conflict unknowingly at times, overlapping each other. It's funny when Ray Barboni walks in the airport just as John Travolta, or sorry, uh, just as Chili Palmer is walking out. And like you see all these moving pieces and how they ultimately come to impact each other directly in the end, even though everybody's motivations are completely disconnected. So it's not exactly a symphony of harmonies. It's, in, it's interesting. It, it, it's more like a moving gears.
2: Yeah, and I think that the music, the soundtracks, kind of accentuates that movement. There's great moments like when Chili is talking to Leo's wife and she says, oh, I wish he was dead, and it, it Travolta has this moment of pause before he turns to her really abruptly and when he does that this great song starts playing and it just it 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 it, 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 it like took that gear that turning gear and and jerked it all the way around so that now we're at a new plot point. So it's kind of like the music is accentuating those turns of the gears.
0: Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. And it's
2: like, I'm expecting something really awesome to come after that music starts.
0: Yeah. Another fun casting story here is that Renee Russo first met Barry, director Barry Sonnenfeld and Danny DeVito at a restaurant and she had an allergic reaction to the sesame seeds in her tuna salad. She broke out in hives, actually had to go to the doctor and she was pretty sure she wouldn't have gotten the part. Sonnenfeld felt sympathetic for her and assured her the role was hers. So, you know. You almost kill someone, yeah. You should cast them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, hey, sorry we almost killed you. You can have the part. (laughs) She did a good job. She did.
2: Yeah, I think that the a lot of the things that I was talking about with the subtleties of facial acting with Jane Hackman, she's also really good at. She's really great at her eye movement where she kind of is talking – She's making Harry Zim think she's talking to him. But that's not where her eyes are. She's she's actually talking to Chili because her game... Is now something that's different, and I think she's really great at those subtle communications.
0: She's one of the sharpest characters because she's not from the mob world, but she 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 knows when something's fishy. She sits there and go like, I wouldn't go check that locker out, or like, <laughs> or like, it's like, don't be that stupid. He is the Shylock. Like, <laughs> like, 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 she's really she's really keen on what's going on in Chili's world even before she really gets to know him and really knows all of his world. She's she's got a good sense for that, and she certainly knows the Hollywood industry. She. She knows all the ticks of what eh, Martin's going to order off the menu and be pretentious and make something up and make the cooks order make something for him that they that they don't even have on the menu and you know, like and she calls it ahead of time she knows she's she's actually one of the sharpest people in all of this and to some degree she and Chili make such a good team she has a pretty good head on her shoulders and his confidence pair well and that's why they are able to get through through this through
2: yeah she's also a really tough character if you think about it from her point of view she does not want to put up with martin weir again you know they had a marriage ended badly i'm sure she does not want to deal with him and she puts all that aside because she sees an opportunity for her to move up in the movie world and she doesn't let that baggage get in her way
0: yeah, when we meet her, she's sleeping with Harry Zim just to get into, you know, the sixth Slam Creature movie for all we know. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's quite a change for her I and mean, she's she's ready to take advantage of it and she knows what she needs to do and she's keen on doing it. So I, I liked her character quite a bit.
1: Yeah, that first scene with her, you, you sort of addressed it, but it really is subver- subverting expectations. We have this pretty Hollywood blonde starring in B-horror movies. Your expectation is okay, bimbo, whatever, and they're reading off the script. The producer isn't getting it at all, and yeah, she points out, yeah, he's the Shylock. This is this is obvious to me. So it was nice that this is a smart, valuable character, not just a throwaway.
0: Yeah, she's she's not an arm trophy or eye candy.
2: And she's actually the one who has the connections to make things happen. She's the one setting up the lunches with oh. people, and she's the one who's actually making it happen.
0: Yeah, you don't get Martin Weir without her. Right. Uh, I feel
1: like the Oldsmobile is what really got me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is the Cadillac of minivans. Oh, the <laughs> Oldsmobile.
1: What was it, Silhouette? I I love so much that later on in the movie it was almost like a family guy joke. They didn't even really say anything, but later on in the movie Bert Weird drives up in the minivan. He's still driving it around. He's just so <laughs> excited. It's just a background gag and like that's great.
0: Shilly kept it at the very end too. So Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Now, another fun alternate casting, Samuel L. Jackson was the first choice of the role of Beau Collette. And I do like Sam Jackson a lot. And I, I don't want to knock Delroy Lindo who did this, but Sam Jackson does sound pretty good to me on that one. That That, oh, that is one no, that is one no. swap I'm tempted to buy. No, you say no? I do not like
1: that. So I, I really hate off the cusp of this is off the heels of Pulp Fiction. So they wanted to do it again and run it back. I do not want to see Travolta and Sam Jackson because it just, it just points right back to pulp fiction. It's like, are they doing the same thing again? I I appreciate the new cast.
0: So you so you if uh, you put Sam Jackson in this one, you would be hang, hankering for a Royale with cheese then.
1: Yeah. Well, there's that, and it's like, are we now casting Sam Jackson in
0: every single one of these Elmore
1: Leonard? adaptations like is this happening he's he is in a lot of movies yes he is he's the most profitable actor of all time
0: well i'm okay with that i'm a big fan of his
2: yeah he's he's great i i thought that delroy Lindo was really awesome so i i mean i wouldn't have yeah yeah I, i thought that he had really good also that subtlety of facial acting where you know that he's kind of getting into a game he doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, you, you kind of get that sense, yeah, it's, it's that same sort of subtleties, going back to what we were talking about with Rene Russo and Gene Hackman. It's like, y- you, you get what's going on in his head, but he's playing it cool. And I think that he's, yeah, I think he was perfect.
0: Yeah. Now, John Goodman in the role of Bear instead of James Gandolfini. John Goodman turned down this role. What about you, Mary? Do you think uh, John Goodman would be okay here, or you I, prefer Gandolfini?
2: I like Gandolfini. I I think he was great.
0: Okay. Chad, do you want a different bear?
1: I love James Gandolfini, but I feel like Goodman could have pulled it off. I thought he did a really good job. or oh, where art thou? Uh, he had, it would have been a very similar role, except with a little more heart of gold. So John Goodman can be threatening. Yes, he can be.
2: Yeah, but I think that there was something so not threatening about James Gandolfini usually is threatening in his roles. He's kind of not here.
0: Well, they do a good job of that because they give him his little girl. And they, you see him carrying her around and you do see him like, hey, don't, I told you, don't cuss in front of my little girl. Like from the very beginning, you, you see what his priorities are. And I, I did like when Chili after he punched him on the ground to that scene that Chad mentioned earlier. I'm very fond of this scene because he's just like, what are you doing around this guy? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. out of concern, like you're a good guy. You're a, you're in movies. Yeah. Like these guys have nothing going for them. Why are you doing this? So. I think that was just Chili's admiration
1: and just idolization of the movies. It's like you're you're in what I want to do. You're doing it. But like, I'm just a stunt man. He's like, but you're doing it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was so good, and uh, it made me really like both of those characters in that scene. So, and then fun, small, uncredited appearance, but she she definitely has more than an uncredited value. Bette Midler, big presence and and small doses here, and uh, Harvey Keitel also comes in at the end uncredited.
2: Yeah, I thought that was weird. She's she wasn't on the cast list. Is she actually uncredited? That's strange.
0: I don't know why that happens. It just it happened. I mean, she certainly ended enough to be in the credits. So, but, and then, uh, you know, fun, fun. Other, in, in addition to Harvey Keitel being on the set, playing the meta, you know, version of like the actor playing Ray Barboni is Harvey Keitel. So that was a fun thing to do. And, uh, Penny Marshall popping in there at the end too. a uh, big personality there.
1: Yes. That makes me happy to see her.
0: Yes. And there's a little bit of overlap. Barry Sonnenfeld, the director here, was the cinematographer for the movie *Big*, which was directed by Penny Marshall. So they have crossed paths before, and so they are um, they 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 are in the same set of associations per se. So
1: shamelessly plug that one, a movie yeah. I did not like, and Russell and I will still fight over. Ah,
0: it's a great <laughs> movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. One of these days, when we get to episode 200, the whole episode is just going to be talking about all the episodes we've done before. <laughs> <laughs> now, interesting uh, notes here about how this movie got made. Director Barry Sonnenfeld brought Tom, bought a Tom Clancy novel with him, and, and he was just going to go on a cruise with his wife, and he panicked. He said, I'm going to go on a cruise, and I'm only going to take one book. I better buy another book. And so he snatched up Get Shorty at the airport. And he was, in the, he was on the cruise, and he just wasn't getting into Tom Clancy. Sorry, Tom Clancy. And he then picked up Get Shorty and was hooked. And uh, he got back from the cruise and he, he called Danny DeVito up. And he said, I'm just picturing you in the lead role of this movie. This is such a good book. I think you should buy the rights to this and we should make it. And DeVito said, all right. And uh, so he buys it and buys the rights. And uh, he suggests, "He says, Barry Sonnenfeld, you should direct it. These two know each other from working on the funny movie, Throw Mama from the Train. If you haven't seen that one, check that one out. And Sonnenfeld called DeVito up and... He wanted him to do it, and then, as Chad mentioned, DeVito was too busy directing Matilda, so he had to take a smaller role. And I still maintain that Travolta was perfect for it. So, But it's really interesting. Elmore Leonard was pretty concerned initially because Get Shorty might be too silly because Barry Sonnenfeld at this point has really mainly known as a director from the Addams Family movies. And so this is just interesting to see how all of this came to be. Barry sonfeld really got the engine going on this one and honestly he bought a paperback this book had been out for a few years it's interesting to me that such a good piece hadn't really come across the shelves of somebody in hollywood's eyes it's really interesting that one um mary did you have any other thoughts about like the writing inside of this from the elmore leonard side how this movie got made
2: not about how the movie got made but i just i feel like chili is a quote machine is yes. so many great lines <laughs>
1: yes you mean ie not eg eg means example
0: <laughs> man i'm gonna enjoy killing you <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, go chat, chat
1: elmer leonard saying this is the truest ab- adaptation of any of his works and man the guy can write dialogue like when he saying chili's just so quotable and i i like that The guy that he modeled Chili after actually is in this movie. Uh, Ernest Chili Palmer does show up. Yeah, the dialogue is just so smooth and so impressive. I know we talk about, you know, a Quentin Tarantino movie. That's what he's known for is his dialogue. This didn't seem to have any wasted scenes. It didn't seem indulgent. Like, that's a complaint of mine quite frequently with the length of some of these other dialogue-heavy directors. This, everything just seemed tight and bang, bang, move, laugh a little, move on, laugh, move on. And it just didn't linger. And I I love that when they do. it.
0: And you almost would have had Tarantino. This was an MGM executives' first choice was Tarantino on this one. They wanted him in this. Obviously Seinenfeld got behind the engine to make it happen. And as you pointed out, Tarantino got to do an Elmore Leonard book in his own right. And two years later with Jackie Brown, but I think you nailed it on the head. Quentin Tarantino likes what are called hangout movies. And he'll let the camera just roll for extended periods of times with these admittedly interesting characters having tangential conversations that just ramble and roam. And it it racks up minutes on the movie. And, uh, you know, in theory, people who are fans of Tarantino, and I'm sorry we're not representing those people very well in this podcast because I like Chad prefer a little more focus i do find it to also be indulgent and uh, this movie to me is more faithful to the elmore leonard book and i think that is really a big benefit and Sonnenfeld did like the book so much he said it made his job really easy and he invited elmore leonard onto the set and he feared a lot of rebuttal from the author coming and saying oh chili wouldn't do that but elmore was just quiet and elmore leonard in an interview said he was really tickled when Barry Seinfeld came up to him was just like, so don't you have any suggestions? Like, what would you do here? And like, he's like, he said, like, that was absolutely unheard of him. Directors do not ask you that. Normally they're just kind of like, okay, you wrote the book. It's my movie. Shut up. And so, uh, you know, that, that level of respect for the writing kind of shows through in that story to me.
1: I feel like the guy that directed Adam's family values probably should be asking for <laughs> input.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Okay, we say that, but on the other hand, as a cinematographer, Barry Sonnenfeld has been involved with some very good movies. Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Throw Mama from the Train, Big, When Harry Met Sally, Misery. So this is all before he ever goes on to become a director. But, I mean, so he's been... He's he's a cinematographer, and he's very involved with a lot of high-pedigree movies. So don't just chalk it up to Adam's family for him.
1: Okay, Wild Wild West, Men in Black 3. How many more do we need?
0: Okay. (laughs) He did Men in Black as well, the first one, so it's not just Men in Black 3. So, yes, he does finish off on a rather unceremonious fashion. His last three movies are RV, Men in Black 3, which I didn't hate Men in Black 3 as much as you seem to, but Nine Lives in RV are are starting to get a little bit lightweight. I think Wild Wild West will wreck your career.
1: (laughs) And it should, unless you're Will Smith.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean when you're the Fresh Prince of Bel Air you get you get you get a you get a miss like that.
2: So yeah,
1: you get a couple passes.
0: Yeah. Now, Mary, what do you think about Barry Sonnenfeld as a director?
2: You know, I feel like there could have been a little bit more thought put into the way the that- the camera is moving and some cinema photography moves and it was interesting in that interview with him he actually said now that he's a director he doesn't care about that stuff (laughs) which I thought was hilarious because it's like well it kind of shows but at the same time there's still some interesting points of view with the camera that are not so much to create a beautiful shot but to show you something about the characters you know the one one that sticks out in my mind is the scene on the staircase where Chili's coming up the stairs and Bo and Bear are headed down the stairs and there's a sense of awkwardness about the way that's shot that's really intentional, showing you that Chili has the lower ground but still it, it is the person who dominates the room. It's an interesting shot and I think there's a number of moments like that where it's Kind of, you're kind of getting an unexpected perspective where the camera is versus where the characters are. That actually maybe is reinforcing some of the characterization.
0: Yeah, I think there's there are clever moments of cinematography in this one. Whether it be super low angle of Ray Barboni like on the toilet, like getting them right before he gets the phone just call. Strange. Or like I, when yeah,
2: I don't know how I feel about. that.
0: Or when Bo, With the
2: Mona Lisa behind Yeah, it.
0: that was funny. Uh, or when Bo comes in into the limo, and like the limo's made to look extra long because they take the camera and they switch it around so much. It's moments, you're right, that it's not highly stylized and it's not that artistic. But I think his benefit here as a director is his tightness in the storytelling. He's very controlled in the editing room. And he, he's even said, Sonnenfeld said, one of his favorite parts of taking over the seat as a director which he didn't ever want to be the guy who just pointed at everybody and you do this, you do that, you do this, and I'm in control of everything. That was not his mission. He kind of fell into director by su- people suggesting, hey, why don't you direct this Adams Family movie? Okay. But he, so <laughs> he, he fell into it. But he says the favorite part of directing to him was the editing room. And he said, a movie is as good as it will ever be when it's done in a script before it's ever started to be made. And then eventually actors start to make their own choices in there and push you, pressure you into doing things that you might not want to do. The weather's bad. You have to get behind schedule. You start making compromises and things don't turn out the way you thought they would. Stuff goes wrong. The shark breaks, as they pointed out in Jaws. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know? And he said the movie's the worst it's ever going to be at the time you're done shooting it. And w- when you go to the editing room as a director, you start to make it better again and you can bring back the integrity of the story and he specifically wanted to keep a lot of that Elmore Leonard aspects of it. He cut good scenes out of this movie that just weren't part of servicing the plot. So I think probably Usana Feld, I think it shows best here and perhaps in Men in Blacks, the first one, that he is a good storyteller. He moves things along. Chad said this really moves along and that is, that is, that is the job of the director for sure.
1: I feel like George Lucas has broken the rule of the movie is the worst it will ever be after you're done shooting. He's <laughs> he just not done.
2: <laughs> Stop retouching stuff.
1: Yeah, Stop. he'll come back 20 years later to make changes that make no sense. Give me my movie back, George.
2: I really think the asteroid field was better with potatoes, and I have tried to find a version that would be that version well, I don't think you can even get it now. Return of the
0: Jedi was certainly better before they added the music number in Jabba's palace.
1: Oh, Jedi rock! That's it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that that I didn't need that. Yeah. So what you're saying, Chad, is you don't want Barry Seinfeld to come back in here and add some CGI and some extra stuff into this movie in 20 years? I, uh,
1: you know what? For this movie, if CGI Boba Fett or Jabba the Hutt appears in the background at one point, I don't think I would question it. It's it's just one of those movies. It's like, all right, that's a fun background thing. So go ahead. Go put Boba Fett in the back of the office, like his armor or something. Why not? That's that's fair.
0: And another good thing that Barry Sonnenfeld did was he encouraged people to play the part straight. And he, he had faith that the Elmore Leonard story and dialogue held humor on its own weight. And he got done shooting a scene with Gene Hackman. And he said, Gene, that was just... You're so funny, and Hackman was kind of like, "I wasn't trying to be funny." He said, "No, no, you were incredibly funny." He said, you know, Barry's like, that's the point though i didn't I didn't want you to go out there and yuck it up I, I find that so hard to believe that Hackman's not trying to be funny because there's some moments in this when in particular he's getting some good laughs from me like when he's hurt and he's in that <laughs> neck brace at at the meeting I just he's physically he's he's got good
1: comedic chops here, so I think that's just old man not understanding what's funny anymore. And so it's just like, he's I, I think the more aggravated he is at being told he's funny, the better job he did.
2: That's fair.
0: Now, uh, did you catch th- where Barry Sonnenfeld himself pops into this movie, Mary?
2: Yeah, he, uh, he opens a door. He opens a cab door. Is it for Chili or is it for somebody else? And now I don't remember. Yeah, but he's definitely no, the doorman. No, it's for Leo. It's for Leo. It's for Leo, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: In in Las Vegas, Leo, you're right, Leo gets out of a limo, and he's dressed as a very over-the-top, goofy Las Vegas doorman. I love it when directors stick themselves in movies. That's a Hitchcock thing that I like. More of this, please. Now, he's not as distinctive as uh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock and his big bottom loop. You can spot him from a mile away.
1: Wes Craven sticks himself in a lot of his movies.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that you're mentioning here, Chad, is I think Sonnenfeld takes Elmore Leonard's content and makes it fun. Is that fair? I
1: don't think it, it came pre-packaged fun, but yeah, looking over his movies, there aren't too many heavy downers here. We're looking at Wild Wild West, Men in Black, Adam's Family, and these movies are meant to be fun. It's very interesting that You get Shorty a little bit more serious, but he keeps that light, fanciful music in here. He tells you, hey, you're still going to have fun even though people are getting whacked.
2: No, I think part of what keeps this movie so light is the characters. And I'm noticing that the character of Chili, he does something that you don't see very often as a leading man. He is approaching his game... To, by making the people around him better at what they do, he's challenging them. He challenges... At the, even at the very beginning of the movie, he challenges the, the tough guy that that Dennis Farina's character, Bones, hangs around with. He says, why are you hanging around this guy? He's already kind of setting that tone that that's the kind of guy he is. He he does that with Bear. He challenges him. Like, you've got talent and skill. You, why are you not using it? He... He's inspiring Karen Flores to, to get excited about movies again. He's challenging Harry Zim and showing him how he can do the game better. He, he even does it with DeVito, where he's he's coaching DeVito how to act. You know, Martin Weir is this, you know, famous actor. And Chili comes in and he doesn't know anything about acting, but he's actually making Martin Weir a better actor and I think that that general approach which says get it lets us get behind this character that he's not it's not about chili he's he's actually getting where he wants to go by making other people around him better. Mm,
0: that's a great point.
2: That's- it's it's kind of like the theory and you know people talk about what makes a good project manager just in general in, in any kind of field they make the people on their team better.
0: That's good. That's good. And that, that's part of what makes him likable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think that gives the movie such a positive mood. Even if he's going to go and punch a guy in the face, we still like Chili. Why? Because he has this approach toward life in general. And we can get behind that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chad, this movie is entirely shot in Los Angeles, even though it says it's in Miami, Brooklyn, Las Vegas, and and obviously Los Angeles. Did you like the locations and where they chose to shoot everything here?
1: Soddenfeld, I don't know if,
0: or not Soddenfeld,
1: Leonard, I don't know if it's a checkbox or what, but Miami somehow got to be involved, at least briefly in his movie. So, yeah, it it could have been anywhere. L.A. for the movie industry, yeah, that's a must. But the Vegas kind of detour is a little strange to me. It didn't feel important.
0: Well, that's where gambling's gonna be. Harry wouldn't like bet all that money likely likely in Los Angeles. I feel like
1: there are some bookies in Los Angeles that would disagree Right into us bookies in Los Angeles that potentially you know big Hollywood directors owe you money. Just right uh, into the show. I had retro
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> they listen. <laughs> Hey, listen to us. You know who you are. Get some of that wise guy money. <laughs> yeah. Miami's not Miami. Miami is actually a Art Deco block. That's kind of a notorious block. It's shot in many movies. In Miami, uh, sorry, in Los in Los Angeles, and the Italian restaurant where you see Farina and Travolta in the beginning. That's just a restaurant in Santa Monica. So I gotta say they 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 had me fooled. Didn't I? Mean obviously climate wise, this is not something you feel so much, but. Didn't you, I felt like we were in Miami at one point. Didn't you, Mary?
2: It's been a long time since I've been to Miami, so I didn't question it. Yeah. Maybe somebody who's from Miami might have picked up on it, but I did not.
0: I assumed we were in Brooklyn so little. I, I assumed that one wasn't Brooklyn. It's, it's dark. It's night. It's a warehouse. It's, uh, that could be anywhere. So, But uh, Las Vegas, similarly, all those hotels and stuff like that, none of that was actually in Las Vegas, minus the long shot. Which they, they did to have like a brief shot from Fremont Street in Las Vegas, but everything else was L.A. Which you know, I gotta say, my favorite proper favorite location they chose here was the Arrow Theater, where they chose to see Orson Welles's Touch of Evil. And this this is a fun this is a fun movie theater because this is the same movie theater where Frank the Rabbit appears to Donnie Darko, and Donnie Darko.
3: Nice.
0: Yeah, and there's another one that I think that you would like, Chad. This is the same movie theater that appears again in Scream 2.
1: Oh, okay. The, the very beginning, the opening of Scream 2. Yes. yes. It, you, it, you still need to see that. Just forget the spoilers you heard at the panel.
0: Yes. And also, Tony Scott's, which is a Tarantino script, Small World, it's all coming full circle, True Romance uses this same movie theater, the Arrow Theater in Los Angeles. They just say it's in Detroit. And it's one of the early scenes where Christian Slater comes in and watches a movie with great enthusiasm. Actually, enthusiasm that might rival Travolta's enthusiasm in this movie. And then Patricia Arquette also comes in behind him and looks longingly at him. So, And they, and they get together there, too. So, And if you want to hear a podcast on true romance, Chad, what, what would be a good podcast? Uh, I don't know. Who would, who, would, who would have covered that?
2: You should probably check us out.
0: People that are listening, keep,
2: keep going download other episodes. <laughs> Do you always have this many plugs in? The, the more Yo. the better in each episode. Yes.
1: yes, I I am shameless and it's rubbing off on Russell. Before he's he felt a little bit of shame, and I think I've just eroded that all.
0: I, I have most fun doing this with Chad. <laughs> After the, like <laughs> when I'm on with Chad, I'm just like, how many plugs can we get into a show? I it,
1: it's essentially the Super Troopers meow game for me. Like the record's eight. Can we do more than eight? I bet we can.
0: I think we did it on this one. <laughs> <laughs> if not, we will. It, yes, this is like the soup Nazi of episode of like uh Seinfeld. Like it's it's a flashback to all the previous episodes, so it's what Right. Get the and
2: I recall uh Chad we um on the episode that we did together, Predator, we yes. uh plugged the number of your previous Episense.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. No, this is uh, this, this be my thing. <laughs> Russell mentioned Jaws. If you like Jaws. Oh, you I,
2: set,
0: I, s- I
1: set you up.
0: I was disappointed. I was just like, oh, yeah, man. You moved too fast. I just
1: couldn't get my plug in. So, yes.
0: If you like
1: movies, <laughs> uh,
3: kettle
0: we've covered a couple. Oh, if you've day. made it 60 minutes into this podcast, there's a decent chance that you already know about us. But in case you don't, <laughs> oh, like oh. if you just got in the car with somebody who was listening to this, we are your show. Oh, so. people bailed
1: as soon as you said and my co host Chad Robinson. They're like, Nope, I'm out. Bring back Fry.
0: I hope they stayed
1: on though, because he said, and Mary Guest, and they're like, Sold, she was awesome and Predator.
0: Yeah. Now um some fun wardrobe things to, to note here. Do you see like the I see the different worlds being represented both through the characters but also through the wardrobe. Mary, did you find any interesting wardrobe choices that they made here?
2: You know, wardrobe's pointed out a few times. I actually noticed that. Chili points out Bo's too nicely dressed to be somebody who's, you know, come into rob a place, you know, when he sneaks into the um office. You know, then there's the whole thing about, you know Chili seems to bring the chilly weather with him. It's chilly in Miami. And there's the whole thing about the coat. Raybone steals the coat, so I'm not sure I picked up exactly on different styles for different people, but I I've noticed wardrobe being pointed out in the movie by the characters.
0: Well, I I think Chili is actually a New York gangster in Miami, and he doesn't reflect the Miami sensibilities. He's got this all black coat, leather yep. jacket, dark color shirts, and stuff like that. So. To some degree Chad is right like he's a fish out of water even at the beginning of the movie. He doesn't fit into this Miami world. He doesn't he doesn't jive to the, he doesn't dance to their beat. He has no respect for them. <laughs> no, he has no respect for you. <laughs> yeah,
1: Bones has got the the kind of reddish tint in his suits and things like that. The very almost Cuban influenced Miami look to him.
0: Yeah, pastel colors. I mean, it was no greater accentuated than at the end of the movie where he's wearing a, like a light pink jacket and like yes. light gray pants and stuff with it. Like, this is Miami. <laughs> like,
1: the cabana type look, yeah.
0: And you called out, he's like, man, they put a lot of bronzer on him, so he's like super over tanned as well. Mr. Miami there. And then Beau Colette, Catlett, sorry, Bo Catlett and... Los Angeles, he thinks of himself as being a more stylish man. He's a mob man, but he has this aspiration to be in movies, and you can see it in his house as well as his clothes. He, he fancies himself as a man of style, but it all kind of doesn't really go together. A lot of bold choices, and, you know, he's got a lot of modern art in his house, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, I, I'm a huge modern art fan and a modern architecture fan, but it's funky in a way that's not necessarily sophisticated. And I think he wants to fancy himself as sophisticated, but he doesn't know really what he's doing. Doesn't know how to put those commas in there either. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, so L.A. L.A. world versus Miami world versus New York world all coming to clash. I just thought Martin Weir didn't come off as being... I thought he should have cared about like his... Stuff he didn't seem like Mr. Hollywood guy who would be caring about like my Versace shoes or you know whatever.
1: You needed him in like a fur
0: coat. on Yes. The couch or... How good would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Add
1: to the ridiculousness while he's being super serious.
0: Yes, I, i I'm, I'm for that. And Zim, what did you think about Harry Zim? I mean, doesn't he just seem sleazy when you meet him?
2: Zim's wardrobe is he's got something about it that says he th- thinks that he is being i don't know the director look but it's just not it's not coming together well <laughs> like it's falling short of what he, he thinks dis- it is
0: he looks disorderly
2: yeah
1: yeah that's that's the give up look like he's he's given up he's, like my lot in life is slime creatures that's that's my claim to fame, so I'm just gonna give up. No suits, no anything. Just whatever, whatever I pick out in the closet first. All right.
2: I actually thought it was interesting the Karen Flores. You know, we in her in her movies, she's got that blonde wig on and she's got short skirts. And when we see her at home, most of the time she's just got on an oversized Lakers t shirt, just her natural hair. She's not done up, and I think we get a really sort of authentic vibe off of her character because yeah, because she's not she's not putting on an act.
0: I gotta hand it to Renee Russo. It's really hard to look good while wearing a Lakers t shirt or any piece of garb and uh, she pulled it off well. I mean, I hate the Lakers. <laughs> so Soundtrack, Chad, what did you think about the soundtrack here?
1: I loved it from the very start. Man, it grabbed me at the intro and just kept going. The music was delightful. John Lurie, who did the soundtrack, did just an amazing job. The genre is called soul jazz. It's, it's a subgenre of jazz. And it was just so much fun. It Mary's commented on it a lot of driving the movie and highlighting critical points. But it just told me, hey, we're in for fun, and we're going to keep having fun. I was happy that the music stayed in that tone throughout.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Mary, I I came downstairs, and I noticed you were just, like, listening (laughs) to the soundtrack on its That's pretty high praise for a movie soundtrack, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I really enjoy just the general vibe from the soundtrack got songs from booker t and the, MGs. and the mgs and just it's got such a great vibe it almost a little bit reminds me of the way the music in uh, the tv show twin peaks was done it's got a little bit of that jazz sort of vibe and it, it kind of has those same moments it's like when you when you hear that jazz music startup you know something weird's gonna go down at the great northern hotel and it it's like the jazz music pulls you into the next plot twist, and I like that about it.
0: Yeah, it's great. It got a, it was nominated for a Grammy Award in 1997. No Oscar nominations, though, surprisingly. So I, I thought this was a very cool soundtrack, and I'm, I think you guys are right. It just hit the right tone in the movie. It It is wildly fun, and perhaps this contributes to my... This might be a big part of why I was just sitting there going like, well, I'm having so much fun. And so enjoying myself and laughing so much on this movie, whereas some of the other Elmer Leonard stuff is a little more intense, and certainly and and Jackie Brown heavier. And I think the music, I think has a fair bit to do with it.
2: It also sets up the the comedy moments. Yeah. Especially at the beginning of the movie, you know, uh, Momo's birthday party, and it's uh, yeah. <laughs> <these> a <are> great <laughs> guy. comedic moments for the music.
0: Yes. And uh you guys ready to hand us some awards?
2: Love to. Yeah. yeah, sure.
0: Mary, give us the honor. Who's your MVP of Get Shorty from 1995? I,
2: I think it has to be John Travolta for me. Nice. I, I think that the, he brings the whole movie together.
0: Nice. And Chad, MVP.
1: You covered it earlier, but I'm going with Quentin Tarantino. He's not... Direct- <laughs> wow, this is a first for Chad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if we ever do From Dusk Till Dawn... It may come up again, but yeah, convincing Travolta with the line, this isn't the movie you say no to. I I love that. And without his interference, this movie isn't nearly as awesome.
2: Yes. So is this the first time someone not involved in the movie has gotten a superlative?
0: I think so. <laughs> I think For so. For the 100th episode. Right.
1: There go you go. Outside the box.
0: Yeah. I, I was very tempted to pick Elmore Leonard And I'll give a nod to him, but I'm with—I think Travolta, as for all the reasons that Mary said, man, what a good vehicle this is for him. Like this is this is this and Grease are right there for neck and neck for me for my favorite Travolta performances. So, best supporting though, this is this one's quite a bit harder with such a good movie. Mary, who's your best supporting
2: actor? You know, this is. Difficult with such a huge talented cast, but I went with Renee Russo. I felt that her authenticness and her subtleties with acting skills shed great timing through the movie and yeah, I thought she really shined in this.
0: Great pick. Yeah, now Chad, what about you? Best supporting? I'm gonna go with Tom Hanks. I'm (laughs) confused. Oh sorry. Yeah. (laughs) You got me on that one. I was like,
1: What? uh, no, Danny DeVito, for me, it's a small part, but he makes every every scene count. Him being so excited by the minivan and then driving it around later. His acting job, like, it's hard to fake act while acting. And he just did this so serious scene that he probably was just howling during takes where he's looking at John Geralt, so I loved it.
0: I, I love all these picks, and this is how good this movie is, that you have three different choices on this superlative, but I'm going to go with Gene Hackman. He really made me laugh, and he was so slimy, and he, his character advances the plot so well, and obviously he's the one who holds the Mr. Lovejoy plot, which, by the way, I love that we never hear anything whatsoever about Mr. Lovejoy. Like I, 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 I think it's better that way. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gene Hackman on this one. Now, Hidden Gem, Mary...
2: I thought it was fun that Penny Marshall was in the end of the movie, so I was picking her.
0: Great choice. Yeah. Yes, always a good choice. Uh, Chad, Hidden Gem.
1: Alfred Dennis, who played Ed the Barber. I wanted more barbershop scenes. It was like (laughs) when I watched Luke Cage, the best scenes were always inside the barbershop. It was my favorite dialogue. He's even sassy to bones. I just, I liked his character.
0: Yes, that's a good choice there. And Mary, Mary was also fond of those barbers.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, they were fun.
0: My hidden gem is going to be David Paymer. Uh, he's who he plays Leo. I just thought he was so good as this skittish guy who was out of his element, over his head, and uh, I just thought Travolta said it so well. I was like, I don't know how you made it this far. You're so dumb. <laughs> he has a
1: great face for being that kind of squirrely guy.
0: Gosh, you're right. He just physically is exactly what this role needed. So, love it. So, now this one's going to be hard because I think we've all equally said that we like this cast, but if you have to recast somebody, who's it going to be marrying? Who are going to put in place?
2: So, I'm going to go with John Grease. Or, he played mm-hmm. Ronnie Wingate, uh, Bo's sort of sidekick. I he He was fine in the movie. I just. Thought that might be an opportunity to insert maybe a a more memorable character. And I, you know, I was thinking about who, who might have been sort of there at the time, who could have done it. And I thought French Stewart might be able to give us a little bit of something interesting in that small role.
0: Stargate and Third Rack from the Sun's very own French Stewart.
2: Yeah, I mean he's he's memorable when you see him. He always adds something a little extra. So I felt like that that role might need a little bit of something extra.
0: Yeah, he gets he gets buried. I could see Bruce Willis because he got mentioned before, in like the Chili Palmer casting. I don't know if he would want a smaller part, but I could see him taking that too, maybe.
2: Uh, Bruce Willis can sort of surprise you and pop up in places that you don't expect him to be. So that could be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Just I was sitting there thinking about like. I saw that one on, like, the list of Almost Casted or Offered. I was sitting there going, like,
2: ah. Yeah, he he would, would, kind would of, kind do is.
0: fit this movie, because the whole nine it, yards you makes know, me think of this. Make
2: him, make him look different than he normally looks, and maybe uh-huh. it could be one of those, like, you don't notice this Bruce Willis until, like, the third time you watch the movie, and you're like, ah, oh, it's Bruce Willis. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it could be fun.
1: Chad, recast. I'm going for Miguel Sandoval's Mr. Escobar. I didn't really have a problem with his, his performance but if I'm going all out I'm getting Antonio Banderas to do the role. Oh uh,
0: Intimidating.
1: He's he's done some great kind of villains and I think he would really liven it up here.
0: Nice. I like that. And he's way more intimidating.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He, he Yeah. I can see that. I can totally see that.
0: Yeah. Give, give him his long hair from Desperado too.
1: You can have whatever hair he wants.
0: Yeah. The recast for me is going to be Renee Props as Nikki, the rock and roll girlfriend of Martin Weir. She's good. She does shows part fine. She looks the part well. But wouldn't it be fun to actually stick in a real musician, a real rocker, and to insert them as a fictional rocker? I thought that would be a fun thing to do. So I was kind of bouncing around between, like, PJ Harvey, Courtney Lover, Joan Jett. And I I think I think Joan Jett's gonna be my choice on this one.
2: That would be fun, but have her play a different musician. No, she wouldn't be J- exactly. just the she way, way that DeVito Joan. is Martin Weir. Yes. An actor named Martin Weir, she yes. would have a different persona. Yeah. That, like, that would be
0: fun. Like she would just be another musician and um she's certainly believable as a rocker. So But again, Courtney Love, PJ Harvey would be great choices too there, so best shot of the movie, Mary.
2: You know, we've talked about a number of sort of interesting shots. It, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to pick. I think that there's a few that stand out, but the scene in the parking garage with John Travolta and James Gandolfini where he beats him up and then he's talking about, like, oh, how many movies you've been in and all that kind of stuff, and the, yeah. the, the, the moment switches to be this endearing moment, and it's all done in a silhouette shot they were in shadow with the the bright sun in the background it's kind of of unexpected but i like it
0: it's a low perspective too yeah like in something
2: really compelling about that scene i can't quite articulate it well enough yeah i like that
0: the focus is really in the center of that shot it's really vertical because there's cars on the left and right and so they're really focusing yeah you you
2: see in travolta's in silhouette and bear is in silhouette I don't, something interesting going on there. Yeah.
0: It almost prepares you that he's going to knock him down on the ground. Like it, it, it's the shot set up to be down on the ground before he gets there. So that's a great choice. I, that's a, that's a, I like that choice. So uh, that's what I meant. Like there are good moments in here. Chad, do you have another, one of those good moments Then best shot? You
1: know what? It's from probably the best scene or will come up as best scene, but really the framing of the faces during that look at me scene they they get these full on shots and just stay with the faces and they linger there probably longer than you normally would just for comedic effect for John Travolta and for Danny DeVito of okay, we're gonna really stare into their eyes and it was almost the Zoolander Blue Steel type moments.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go with the beach sunset where Karen and Chili are in silhouette and the yeah, because it's brilliant bright orange sunset you know the smog in la is why they have such beautiful sunsets
2: yeah and i thought that scene was really <laughs> super weird yeah mary
0: didn't like this scene she she she, 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 she mentioned to me ahead movie. of time was that like, she this wasn't really like this
2: high saturation monochromatic scene i mean the silhouette thing had been done a couple times in the movie but it's the, the kiss
0: like this is where chili and heavy she... saturation
2: of icky smog yellow just too stylized uh, i for you. don't know i didn't fit with the rest of the she film she didn't like
0: this but i thought this was when Chili and karen come together they kiss for the first time and they're yes but i was
2: distracted about why am i is something wrong with the tv did we lose the color why is it all yellow wow yeah. did the baby knock the cords to the color no, ports no, that didn't out happen again? On Rocky horror <laughs>
0: picture show everything i had yellow lips at the beginning of everything Rocky horror. was all right well that's a it's a really good one there so best scene mary
2: my best scene is actually Chad's best shot, the Get Me moment where Travolta's trying to get Martin Weir to be him. It's such great chemistry between those actors. Yep. It's a fun scene. I'm
0: trying to get inside your head. What am I thinking? Well, a metamorphosis doesn't actually occur. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious. <laughs> what are you telling me? You're tired? You want to go to bed? <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Those, that one was really good. Uh,
2: yeah. And the, the, you know, Karen has a great moment there also where he's like, What happened between us? Well, you. <laughs> <laughs> at you my birthday party. <laughs> yeah, you slept with
0: Nikki. Oh, yeah.
2: That was a good party. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, from beginning to end, that seems great. And it
0: finishes out with what I thought would be somebody's hidden gem of. The Cadillac and minivans, the Oldsmobile silhouette, which was produced from eighty nine to two thousand four, and when Oldsmobile went down, it was a staple staple of their business. So uh, it actually was a it was a big seller. So that, 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 oh, that, you
2: were expecting somebody to pick the silhouette the as their silhouette is the yes, <laughs> well, yes, that's reasonable.
0: Yes. Now, uh, see, it is the Cadillac and minivans.
1: <sighs> Chad, best scene. I really like the office scene with Bo and Chili going back and forth, talking about movies and talking about casting. And what really got me is when Bo suggests Morgan Freeman and Chili just being Chili. He's like, Morgan Freeman, but he's a colored guy. And Bo's instant reaction. What do you mean? (laughs) That's what the role needs. Yes. Chili's just like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, misstep here, but yeah, their back and forth rapport, even though they're enemies, just discussing movies. I mean, hey, it's this podcast.
0: Yeah, they have, they have. I do like their back and forth, even from the first time you meet him. It's like, am I talking to him or am I talking to you? You can talk to me. I thought so. (laughs) Like right away, those two have good chemistry for sure. My best scene is gonna go to Chili at the theater. And when he watches the Orson Welles movie, Touch of Evil, and we talked about it, his sheer enthusiasm that he has. And Karen comes in and watches him without him realizing she's watching him, watching him adore this movie. And he says the quotes of the movie and Karen and her own love of movies is rekindled as well as her interest for Chile starts to grow as well. So what a good scene that is. So
1: I think it was Ebert, but someone within Hollywood called it the most engaging scene they'd ever seen.
0: Wow, I I got Ebert on my side. That that makes me feel good. Thanks, Chad. That makes me feel good. (laughs) Chili sits at Harry's desk, and Bo and John sit with Harry behind them is a close runner-up for me, though. Like, when Chili's giving him all these instructions for what to do, and he doesn't follow them very well, (laughs) or at all. Yeah. Like... That, that, like, that whatever was... you
2: do don't tell them about Mr. Lovejoy here this is what I'm working on Mr. Lovejoy <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, yes. yeah couldn't um, have gotten it more wrong yeah
0: absolutely I just there was a lot of power in that scene between uh, all the players there so great choice and that would have been a nod for me so best wardrobe moment we, this is a fun wardrobe movie as we talked about earlier but Mary what's your favorite piece of wardrobe Chad why don't you take this one first best wardrobe or makeup in the movie I
1: like the bandages and the makeup for Ray Barboni on his nose. <laughs> oh, yeah, we oh, yeah, forgot about that. He just winds up looking like a buffoon. And like you said, he's competent, but he is the butt of the jokes. So he gets shot in the, the head, skimmed. And then when he's sitting with the puffed up nose and the bandages on the toilet, like they did a great job of just kind of making him the butt of the jokes.
0: Yeah. And I'm gonna go with a makeup moment here. Mine's gonna be Gene Hackman when he's hurt and has that neck brace on. His face is his face is done up in a very bruised way. And he was supposed to have his jaw wired and he's he's in utter pain, but he's not gonna miss this meeting with Martin Weir. This is his movie. Or is it? <laughs> and they would go around talking, he's just like Yeah, yeah, the money. Money <laughs> and the romance, girl, what girl? And like, and he, he, he's. We both like people getting hurt,
3: Mary.
1: <laughs> let's uh, let's bring this more highbrow.
2: <laughs> you know, I guess my favorite wardrobe moment is the the whole thing about Ray Barboni stealing the jacket, and then that that it's that jacket that Travolta's insistent on getting. He goes my in, nose. punches the guy and gets the jacket.
0: Had his car keys in it. Yeah. <laughs> He's a very good customer, though. <laughs> <laughs> I eat at Subway a lot, but it doesn't allow me to take people's jackets. You
2: know, and just another one just occurred to me. There's a moment where um, Chili asks Bear, Oh, is this, this is a new shirt? It's a different type of hibiscus, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with,
0: so change one thing. Mary. You
2: yeah, know, there was... Something that just continued to bother me right at the end of the movie, and I can't, I can't get over this one point. They're talking with uh, Chili and Karen are talking with Martin Weir's agent. I, I think is who they're talking to, and they're talking about, I guess, the n- next movie, or maybe they're talking about Mr. Lovejoy. Really, I don't know, but they said you know, Martin's too short. Martin's just not right. Why? He's too short. That bothers me as somebody who's five one and a half. The assertion that Martin Weir is too short for a role or that anybody's too short for any role does get at me a little bit. Okay, okay. That is my change one thing. Okay. and You want to uh, get Shorty in your movie. You don't want to keep Shorty from being in your movie. I don't know. That to me, no, that, I, I, I question that decision at the end. Okay, okay.
0: And uh, Chad, change one thing. I'm going to be wildly
1: inconsistent with my Elmore Leonard novels and the adaptations. So this one, unlike Out of Sight, I want more romance. I just felt like it was a little bit undercooked. And so we just don't get a lot of the interaction that I wanted with Karen. Even at the end, it's like it wasn't necessarily clear that they were still together. It was almost more like a joint business venture. So I hmm. kind of wanted it to be more obvious that they were together.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a yeah, that's fair. And you might think you would get that in the sequel to this, be cool, but only Travolta returns, unfortunately. So yeah. yeah. And
1: he is cool.
0: Yeah, he is cool. The reviews on that one are not as uh, kind to that one. So this is definitely the better movie. So now change one thing for me is going to be, I'd like to see Chili not be a smoker. He's made to be a tough guy. But this is 1995. Your hero, your good guy, your protagonist. I don't want him to smoke. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: You can have Barboni smoke because he's a buffoon.
1: But... <laughs> You've got the Hollywood guy from Family Family Guy. Smoke.
0: Yeah. Smoke. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you must give him something to do... With his mouth, give him a toothpick or something.
2: Yeah, I think this was around the time that people were starting to be more conscious of should they put smoking in their movie or not. Maybe not. So I I feel like somehow this didn't catch up with where things were going. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now, best quote of the movie: If you want to see a lot of smoking, go back and watch Asphalt Jungle. Chad is saying, "Oh yes." (laughs)
2: <laughs> that does. They did not really know back then. I don't remember what year that movie's from, but somewhere it's, uh, in the fifties. N- yep. Nobody was really considering it a, a negative thing at that and
1: point. If, and if if you want to hear us talk about Asphalt Jungle, you're in luck. You're i gonna... get another plug in there. <laughs> I did that on purpose.
0: <laughs> Keep them coming. Oh gosh. shameless. Shameless. Yes. Yes. Now, best quote of the movie, Mary.
2: It gets me every time. I ordered a Cadillac. Oh, well, you got the Cadillac of minivans. Yeah, and then the follow-up jokes that we get about... Can I take the first a spin? Yeah, I can take it for a test drive. You don't say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, Chad, what about you? What's your best quote?
1: I'm going back to the barbershop scene where Chili's like, So you tell me you're never going to sleep again? Tommy goes... No, I said I'm never going to bed. There's a difference. See, the article says most people die in their beds. I figure as long as I stay out of bed, I'm safe. That's
0: the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that is good. That's the kind of thing you pick up on a second or third pass. I like that one. I, I'm i not going to go with the famous Chili Palmer look at me, which is totally the trademark. I can't believe that one didn't get picked. But uh, I'm going to go with Chili Palmer saying, Cannot believe how you do business out here. Yeah,
2: said it more than once. That's also a good one. (laughs) Like an
0: utter disbelief of like, what is this
2: amateur hour? What
0: kind of mob are you running out here? (laughs) Like, (laughs) almost a critique of like, that's not how you do business.
1: Everybody has normal names. What are you doing? (laughs) Although I did like that they made fun of Chili Momo.
2: What are breaking you guys these, these names? names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, breaking the fourth wall again.
0: Another good Chili Palmer line was like when Ronnie Wingate's he's like, he's like, excuse me, bro, but who the F are you? And he's just calling me, I was like, I'm the one telling you how it is. <laughs> or the,
1: that was Rio Bravo. Just the indignation from him <laughs> messing up a movie. It's like every time I mess up Jaws 3 and Jaws 4, <laughs> which is a lot.
0: I also like the, uh, you must bring something heavy to the deal. And Shelley's like, I do. Me.
1: The end of the Martin Weir. I believe you.
0: (laughs) 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 Good, good, good stuff here. So now, time for this to come full circle. On a five-star scale, Mary, what would you give Get Shorty on a five-star scale with half-star intervals?
2: I really enjoy this movie, and I'm going to give it a 4.5. And it gets knocked a point, uh, a half a point, specifically for the line at the end about how Martin's too short for the role.
0: Don't be not, don't be mean to short people. Then yeah, uh, yeah. You,
2: I'm gonna dock the movie <laughs> with points just for that.
0: No, uh, yeah, Chad, Chad, five star scale. What would you give? Get shorty.
2: I'm gonna go four and a half
1: as well. I loved it. Had a great time. I've recommended it to people already, and I would agree this is the best Elmore Leonard adaptation.
0: I'm also gonna go 4.5 because I give in to peer pressure and you both gave it that. <laughs> no, I'm also just gonna give it a 4.5. It's uh, it's it's pushing the five, and it's honestly perhaps in time if I share this with enough people, enjoy it enough times, it has potential to go to go five over time for me because it is holding up awfully well and it is a lot of fun on rewatch. So 4.5 with hopes of someday elevating. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I would love to. Yep, let's go back to the 90s at a different era of hero movies. So option one, Judge Dredd from 1995. In a dystopian future, Joseph Dredd, the most famous judge, a police officer with instant field judiciary powers, is convicted for a crime he did not commit and must face his murderous counterpart. Option two. The Shadow, from 1994. In the 1930s, New York City, The Shadow, played by Alec Baldwin, battles his nemesis, who is building an atomic bomb. Option three, Blade, from 1998. A half-vampire, half-mortal man becomes a protector of the mortal race while slaying evil vampires. I know you hate vampires, so I'm pretty sure that last one's not going to be a connect for you.
1: Oh, I love Blade, and I always point this out for black panther they're like this is the first marvel black superhero movie i'm like is blade nothing to you I, but yeah judge dread gotta go judge dread we've gotta gotta get uh stallone in here
0: yeah yeah you know first time we've brought him back in since demolition man yes <laughs> i mm-hmm.
1: i feel like you took my joy there you you beat me to it
0: because there's an episode we covered on demolition. Yes. yes,
1: yes, there is. Check it out. One All right. Your favorite podcast that's wasted 20 minutes of your time talking about stuff
0: we've done. I do think that we've added 10 minutes on that. That's a fitting. That's a fitting thing to do for the 100th episode. I won't do this for every time, but I, I'm 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 steering into it extra heavy. So that's that's the last one for me, Mary. Thank you so much for coming on. The show.
2: Thanks for having me, especially on the 100th episode. It was fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, we had we definitely had fun. Being on there with you, and if you want to hear more from Mary, you can definitely catch her on... <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear more from Mary, you can hear her on the Retro Movie Roundtable on The Batman Returns, Wizard of Oz, Buckaroo Banzai, Pan's Labyrinth, Predator, and the 2019 year-end special, as well as the top movies of 2009 episodes.
1: This record will never be beaten, because Russell will never allow me to do it again.
0: <laughs>
2: yes yeah
0: well that's what happens when you're like a seven timer for the show so and chad thanks as always for getting us to the 100 mark it's been so much fun may there be a hundred more man
1: absolutely we've got some big wins to cover
0: we do we do and remember all the lords ladies and knights of the retro movie roundtable we invite you to reach out to us tell us what you want to hear tell us tell us what you think of the show so subscribe, write, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing the show is fun but not free, so we invite you to support us on our Patreon page. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Stop hating.
1: Start participating. Come on. Twinkle, twinkle, baby. Twinkle, twinkle.